Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We are going to be there in just a minute. Matthew chapter 24. This morning we are starting a series that we're calling Stranger Things. Stranger Things. In this life you will come across some strange people. How many of you know some strange people? How many of you have encountered some strange people here this morning, right? (laughs) Right? Some of you are like looking around and watching people like, I don't know about this church. It's a strange church. That's all right. That's all right. We all know some strange people. Some of you I know are strange people, but we won't name any names. In this life, you will experience some strange things. We all have those stories, those, those things that have happened to us, those things that we've seen at night or we thought we saw at night that we want to tell people, but we don't really want to tell people because they think, they'll think that we're crazy. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? We've experienced some strange things. If you look online for more than five minutes, you're going to come across some strange stories. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between what's true and what's fake, what's been edited, what's been doctored, and what is real, genuine, and authentic. There's just strange things. And we know that strange things happen. It's, it's a strange world that we live in. Things are odd. Things are weird. Things are off sometimes. And so um, Melissa and I, we, we were gone on vacation last week, and we had a good time, and thanks to RJ and everybody else who, who took care of the service, I heard great things about it. But we were on vacation, and um, uh, we were cruising. We, we took a cruise, and, and we had a balcony room, so we got to stand off the edge and look down at the, at the ocean, and it was, just, it was just really, really cool. And um, I spent a lot of time out in that balcony just looking out across the ocean, just water everywhere, just as far as the eye could see, no land, just water. And it was one of those moments where you just feel really small, right? Have you ever stood outside or looked out on the ocean and something like that, and just everything was so big, it made you feel really, really small? Uh, that, was, that was kind of this moment that I was standing out there looking around and just feeling really small. It's kind of good for the soul and looking down and seeing jellyfish and just different things. And, and as I was looking out across the water, there just a couple hundred yards out, I saw this thing floating on the water. And I'm oh, what is that? And I'm just kind of watching it as it's floating closer and closer and closer. I realize it's a FedEx package that's floating on the water. I thought, oh, man, that's weird. You expect to see, like, dolphins and, like, birds and, or fish and stuff like that, but you don't expect to see a FedEx package. And I'm thinking maybe it's going to Tom Hanks and Castaway. Maybe he needs a, <laughs> something like that. But it was just really weird to see uh, the FedEx package just floating there in the ocean. Um, another strange thing that happened late one night, about 11 o'clock, Melissa and I went back to, the, back to our room there, and we walked out onto the balcony again. We were out in the ocean. It was late. Um, and there was hundreds of little birds flying around the, the boat, hundreds of birds. And remember, we're out in the middle of the ocean. I have no idea where these birds came from. There are just hundreds of birds flying around. At first, I thought they were bats because they were like those little barn swallow things that are just flying around everywhere, kind of freaking out. But I realized they were birds. And so we went out, and they were just flying around. They'd swoop out, then they'd come back to the boat, swoop out, come back to the boat. And, and they had no respect for our personal space at all. 
These birds kept swooping into our balcony area and we're ducking and stuff and they're landing just right above us and landing on the, the chair behind us and they're like close enough to, that you could catch if you had the courage to, to try. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna catch it. No, I'm not. It's kind of freaky. But there was this one that came in. He flew in. He's fluttering around looking for a place to land and he landed right on Melissa. Came and just perched right on Melissa and um, I told the kids, when I was telling the kids about this story, I said, your mom is like Snow White. The little birds come and they land on her. She's like, oh, and they sing and they land on her. And, uh, but, but the actual event was not quite as magical because when the bird landed on her, I'm standing next to Melissa, I do this very non-masculine prance. <laughs> and I say, oh, it's on you, it's on you. And... Probably just because it was a bird on her and the way I was reacting, Melissa grabbed onto the rail and she screamed as if a shark was attacking her. <laughs> get it off, get it off. And so ah, I was slapping at it, ah, you know, and it, was, it touched me, it touched me, it was, it was weird. But it was odd. I mean, where were these birds coming from? I had no idea where these birds were coming from, landing on people and stuff. It was just, it was just really strange. I just, I had no way to explain it. I'm sure somebody could, but it was just this odd thing that happened. We all experience strange things. You've experienced strange things. Uh, there's lots of strange things going on in the world today. Uh, this clown thing that's going on. Have you read about that? Like, that's a really strange thing. Like, people dressing up as clowns, and they're, they're taking it, like, to a place that's, like, dark and, and a little bit scary. But it's a really strange thing that's happening. How many of you who have uh, read through the Scripture, you've done a little bit of your own studying of Scripture, know that there are some strange things in the Bible as well, right? We come across some strange things, some things that are hard to understand. These things, they pique our interest, they pique our curiosity, but often we don't know a whole lot about them. We have questions about them, but we realize that in order to figure out some of these questions, it's going to take a lot of study, it's going to take a lot of reading, it's going to take a lot of research, a lot of time spending in prayer and, and thinking and meditating on the Lord, and so we really sort of relegate these strange things to the strange areas that we don't know a whole lot about, but we wish we did. We just don't take the time to study it. Oftentimes, we have more wrong information than biblical understanding when it comes to these strange things. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend a little bit of our time talking about some of these strange things. Now, in most of these strange things, you can go, you can spend weeks and months just digging in and, and mining out all of the good stuff in it, but we don't have that much time. We're just going to kind of scratch the surface of these things and talk about them just a little bit over these next couple of weeks. And so um, over these next couple of weeks, it, it may not be super preachy, like yelling and come on and amen and stuff like that, but we just want to talk about some of these strange things. And so the first stranger thing that we're going to talk about this morning is signs. Signs of the end times, signs of the Lord's return, signs that something is coming, signs that whatever is going to come next is about to come next. We're going to talk about these signs. And I want to say right up front, from the very beginning, I believe that the Lord's return is very near. I believe that the Lord is coming soon. I believe that we are prepped and ready to experience God in all of his glory. 
In, in our home, we talk about heaven a lot. And, and this morning on the way to church, um, we were talking about heaven and Abram was telling us that in heaven that little kids can play with like deadly snakes and stuff and it's not going to hurt and they get to ride lions and all this stuff. And, and so they're just kind of talking about heaven and dreaming a little bit. And Phoebe says, Dad, when do you think we get to go to heaven? I said, I don't know, sweetheart, but I hope it's soon. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to heaven. And she said, I do too. I, I hope it's soon too. She said, but I hope that it's after my volleyball game today because I really want to. <laughs> so. I remember growing up and whenever I would hear a preacher talk about the rapture or the Lord's return and him coming and bringing his church, uh, taking his church back uh, to heaven with him or, or just things ending, things like that. I, I always had those things too. Like, I, God, I want you to come back, but I want this to happen for I want to do this first. And I think that comes because we, we don't really have a full understanding or a complete grasp of what it means for God to come, what it means for the Lord to return, and what that means for the church. And in, in fact, I think that if we did understand it, if we did uh, have a grasp on what it means for the Lord to come, I think that we would echo John's prayer and revelation more often, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. Hurry up, we're ready, we're waiting. We are waiting for the Lord's return. But what we do today is we, we look for signs. We watch for signs of the end. And we, we have a tendency to obsess over these signs, to really kind of begin to manipulate some of these signs. And, and if we're not careful, we, we become so obsessed with looking for signs that we become silly. We become so obsessed with looking for signs that we stop looking towards our Savior, and that can cause a little bit of problem within the church and within the believers. And so, so we start really pursuing signs more than anything, and, and we see stuff like this happening all the time. When, when you're in a group of Christians, you're in a group of believers, or somebody's a believer online, they're posting comments on things, um, you see things like this. Hillary Clinton said so-and-so. Get ready, the Lord is coming soon, right? Or Donald Trump said this, oh, get ready, the Lord is coming soon. Well, like we're looking at all these things as signs of the end times. America did this, get ready, the Lord is coming soon. They passed this law, get ready, the Lord is coming soon. North Korea fired something, get ready, the Lord is coming soon. Israel did this, get ready, the Lord is coming soon soon. I saw a video uh, a while back of um, people, I don't know where they were, like in Alaska or something like that, these strange trumpet noises in the wilderness. Just strange, like trumpet. It sounded like a trumpet being blown, and everybody's like, what is that? They're freaking out. And then everybody's saying, get ready, the Lord is coming soon. Like he's warming up or something like that. I don't know if he's practicing. Um, but, but everything that we, it's like, get ready, the Lord's coming soon. It's a sign. A lake or a river mysteriously changes color, or turns over. Get ready. You know what this means? The Lord is coming soon. We read articles about um, them starting to put microchips in pets so that they don't get lost, so that they can track them and locate them. And what does every Christian say? Get ready. The Lord's coming. It's the sign of the beast, the mark of the beast. It's all that stuff. Get ready. The Lord is coming. And look, let me just say right up front, I get it. 
I get why we do this. I understand. I'm watching. I'm thinking some of the same things. But before we get too carried away and start passing out tinfoil hats, we want to look at Scripture and see what what Scripture has to say about signs. Amen? Can we do that? So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus is going to talk about signs. We want signs. We, we, We need, we feel like we need signs. We want a detailed roadmap. We want God to lay out day by day by day what the roadmap to the end and after the end looks like. We want to know every bit of it. We want it to be detailed. We want it to be clear. But Jesus doesn't necessarily give us a detailed roadmap, turn-by-turn instructions. He just gives us some signs. And so let's look at these signs. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it says this. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So let's explain what's happening. Jesus and his disciples are coming out of the temple. It's big, it's beautiful, it's full of gold. And as they're walking out, the disciples say to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, stop for a second. Let's let's turn and just look at the awesomeness of the temple. And don't you think that temple is amazing? Don't you think that it's awesome? Now, now I want to tell you what I kind of think is happening through some of my studies, some of the commentaries that I've read. Um, I, I believe that what's happening here is that in the disciples' minds, the disciples are focused on an earthly and physical reign. They see Jesus as the conquering king. They see Jesus as the Messiah, but they are anticipating him to be a political Messiah and a military Messiah who's going to come up and and remove the oppression of the Romans and set up the the reign of Israel there so that they could be the ones in control. And so it seems that when they're looking back and thinking on the magnitude of the temple, they're really sort of dreaming a little bit and considering and anticipating the day when they get to set up their base of operations in the temple, where that's the biggest, most important thing, has all the military and the social and the political power right there in the temple. The disciples feel like, like since they are close to Jesus right now, they get to be in the inner circle there with the temple, and they're just kind of dreaming, man, this is going to be awesome. Someday we're going to be out of there, and we're going to be doing our thing. Verse 2, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? He's pointing at the temple, those buildings. He says, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be torn down. Jesus essentially says to them, that's not the throne that I'm going to be sitting on. It's it's not a throne that you can see with your eyes right now. That's not the throne that I'm going to be sitting on. And he prophesies the destruction of the temple. And he prophesies that the destruction of the temple is going to be so complete that there will be no stone left on another. Now, that's a pretty specific prophecy, but it's interesting if you read and discover how that prophecy is carried out Uh, In the destruction of Jerusalem, there was a fire. In the destruction of the temple, it burned so hot that all the gold in all of the temple began to melt and run down the cracks in the stones of the temple. And what they did later is they came back and to mine out all of that gold, they removed the stone or they removed the temple stone by stone to take the gold out from every single rock. And so literally, when Jesus says there will not be one stone left on another, it was, it was proved true because they took every single stone apart so that they could get the gold out of it. Just, just another proof that Jesus is who he says he is and that God is good and in control. Amen? And so, so Jesus says, um, that's not going to be the throne that I'm sitting on. Verse 3. 
And as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. It's important to know that this is a private conversation. Again, I believe it reveals what they are asking. And they say to Jesus, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and in the close of the age? When is the destruction of the temple? When is going to be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And so this is where things get a little bit strange. The disciples ask these two things. What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the close of the age. Again, this is really kind of difficult to figure out what the disciples are asking, but just in the, the context of that day, it appears that the disciples are asking, when are you going to take control? When are you going to establish your earthly reign? Because the disciples, in their asking about the return of the Lord, they didn't believe that the Lord was going anywhere. They didn't believe that Jesus was going anywhere. They were more concerned with the coming political power. And when, it's, when we read this, we often think that the disciples were asking about the end times. It appears that they were more asking about the end of the, the Roman reign there at the time. But I believe that what we have here is Jesus answering the question that they asked, not necessarily the question that they meant. You see, Jesus is more concerned with answering the questions that matter than he is answering the questions that we ask. And so it seems that as we read and as we study this, that, that the disciples probably didn't have the foresight to ask about the end times in what they were asking, but Jesus answered about the end times. See, sometimes we get mad at God because we don't feel like we can hear him. We don't feel like we can hear him speaking to us or that he's, he's whispering anything, anything to our hearts. And oftentimes we get frustrated, not because he isn't speaking, but because he's answering the questions that we should be asking, not necessarily the questions that we are asking. Jesus wants to reveal truth to us that is going to change our lives eternally. And most of the time we are focused on what Jesus can tell us that will change my life right now. That will affect me today. But Jesus is constantly pointing to eternity. And so Jesus begins to answer their questions about the end times and signs of the Lord's return and things as we're looking at it. And so he gives them signs, and these signs are going to point to a much greater kingdom than the one the disciples had in mind, an eternal and heavenly kingdom. And so Jesus says this in verse 4. Jesus answered them. So you guys are asking about signs? He says this. He says, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Now, Jesus doesn't say, look to the clouds. I mean, he does in another place, but right here when he's talking about it, he doesn't say, look to the clouds, and when you see a cross, that's the sign. He doesn't say, um, watch the news, and once you see micro chip technology begin to develop and start thinking about the mark of the beast. And so he doesn't say that's the sign either. Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. The first sign that Jesus points to is this. He says, look for widespread religious deception. Look for widespread religious deception. You want a sign, this is a sign. Widespread religious deception. 
Watch for a watered-down gospel that is afraid to ask people to surrender and to sacrifice. Scripture warns that large is the path that leads to destruction. Look for widespread religious deception. Be wary of a gospel that accepts you just the way you are and it encourages you to remain that way. Be wary. Be wary of the gospel that preaches tolerance more than it preaches repentance. Just a little while ago during our uh, praise and worship time, that one song we sang was a song of repentance. It was a song of, of um, confession. It was a song of I'm not good enough. The, these hands are empty. Um, I'm dirty. I, I, I'm, I'm riddled with sin. Lord Jesus, come and save me. Come and cleanse me. Come and fill me. And that attitude and that idea of repentance is a foreign thing for us today. And sadly, it's a foreign thing within the church because we don't spend very much time at all coming to Jesus and praying prayers of repentance. Most of our prayers are prayers of, I need you too. Will you fix? Will you heal? Will you change this person so that my life can be easier? But there needs to be this spirit and this attitude of repentance within the church. And we have to be wary of a gospel that preaches tolerance more than it preaches repentance, that makes excuses for sin rather than exposes sin and points to the Savior. We need to be wary of that kind of a gospel. Be wary of the gospel that revolves around you more than it does Jesus. That gospel will lead you astray. That gospel is leading many people astray. He goes on in verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Pretty easy. We turn on the news. We see this. We realize this is happening all the time. Uh, we realize that this is hitting closer to home than we had ever uh, is anything closer to home more than we'd ever hoped it would? Um, between religious-inspired terrorist attacks and racial tensions, there is an awful lot of fighting going on, and we see it all the time, and we see that pressure growing and growing and growing. He goes on to say in verse 6, See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains, letting us know that something is developing, something is growing, something is starting, that Jesus is up to something. Now, I want to stop here because Jesus knows how we are, and he knows how we get. He says, see that you are not alarmed. The New Living Translation says, don't panic. If you are a Bible writer, if you um, mark or highlight or star in your Bible, why don't you just take a chance there to um, highlight that in Matthew 24, verse 6, that see that you are not alarmed. I think it's very important for us as believers to know that no matter what happens, God is still in control. No matter what happens, God is strong enough to bring us through. No matter what happens, if we stay close enough to Jesus, if we keep our eyes fixed on him, he will be the strength that we need to endure to the very end. And so when Jesus tells us, don't be alarmed, don't panic, or don't be afraid, that's something that we need to listen to because what he's saying is there will probably be reason for you to be concerned. There might be things that happen for you to, to be a little bit afraid. But Jesus says, look, in this case, don't panic, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. None of this is coming as a surprise to God. And that, I think, is something that we really need to consider. I know I said it a few weeks back, but we'll say it again. None of this is coming as a surprise to God. Do we understand this? None of this is coming as a surprise to him. 
And so when he says, don't panic, don't be afraid, we trust him because he is our good, good father. And we keep our confidence and our trust and our assurance in him. Jesus continues with some more signs. He says this in verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we know that we have no ability to endure until the end without Jesus. We don't endure with our own power. We endure by keeping our eyes set on Jesus. And so the second sign that he gives here is this. Look for widespread Christian persecution. Look for widespread Christian persecution. He says this in verse 9. We just read it. We'll read it again. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Look for widespread Christian persecution. The disciples were really asking, when do we get to rule and reign with you? They'd even fought previously about who gets to sit at Jesus's right hand, who gets to be his right-hand man. They're saying, when do we get to set this up? When do we get to start this? When do we get to rule and reign with you? And Jesus says, you want a sign about when you get to rule and reign? Look for widespread Christian persecution. Watch for death. Watch for persecution. And they had to have been thinking, how does this make any sense? But it seems like Jesus was talking about something different than what they were asking about. Now, I want to look at this for just a second. Christian persecution around the world today is at an all-time high. And I'm not talking about in America. I'm not talking about rights. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about persecution around the world is at an all-time high. An article written by CNN in January of this year, January 2016, started this way. This was their opening line in the article that they wrote in January 2016. They said, last year was the most violent for Christians in modern history, rising to a level akin to ethnic cleansing. That's the kind of Christian persecution they're talking about that's going on here in 2015 and 2016. One survey found that more than 7,100 people were killed in 2015 for faith-related reasons. That number was 3,000 higher than the previous year, almost double in a year. We read stories about the buying and selling of Christian women by ISIS fighters, and it's so awful and disgusting. The best way for us to deal with it is to ignore it, to read the highlights and the, and the headlines and hope that those are being exaggerated. And hope that it's not true. Hope that it's an isolated incident and not a widespread pandemic that's creeping through the spiritual world. Christian girls being raped in rapid succession by ISIS fighters. There was one Christian man from Mosul who committed suicide after, after ISIS fighters brutally raped his wife and daughter in front of him. There was another woman, the story says, who was victimized so often that she reported or she resorted to defecating on herself to make herself less desirable and had to be trained to use the bathroom again after she had escaped. Going on around the world today. Going on right now. Outside Syria, two women were publicly raped when they refused to convert from Christianity before they were beheaded. And this is not stuff that's happened in the past. This isn't the barbarians of old. This is what's going on today. And this is something that Jesus pointed to. 
And so we have to approach this with a sober mind and with a sober heart and with the reality that this kind of thing is happening here today. Just because it's not happening in America, just because we're not seeing that kind of persecution in America doesn't mean that this stuff isn't happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ all across the world. And and know this, that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We as a church, we we support uh, a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs that that their whole ministry is to go in and help people that are facing real, physical persecution. And so we support them on a monthly basis because we know that this stuff is going on and we're not going to be naive enough to bury our heads in the sand and think just because it doesn't affect us right here, right now, today, doesn't mean that it's not happening, right? We understand that. We don't say this for shock value or to make anybody feel bad or to guilt anybody into anything. We look at this to see whether or not the signs that Jesus indicated are showing up. And believe me, they are. It's a sign. We're seeing it. Now, verse 14 takes a little bit of a strange turn. And um, usually when you talk about the signs of the end and stuff, it always kind of has a negative bent, like religious deception, Christian persecution. It always kind of seems like it's coming from a negative place. But verse, 15, verse 14, Jesus changes direction real quick, and he's, he offers another sign. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let me read that one more time. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Number three, look for widespread kingdom advancement. Look for widespread kingdom advancement. Charisma News Magazine put out an article a few months ago, and this was the title, The Underground Revival in the Middle East That Might Take Down Islam. In this article, it highlights country after country after country that is predominantly Muslim that is experiencing unprecedented revival and people are being saved in mass. Like revival is happening in these places and we aren't even aware of it. They estimate that one million people have given their life to Christ in the Sudan and they're saying that whole towns along the Afghan-Pakistan border are turning to Jesus. Entire towns are turning to Jesus. It's revival in these places akin to what happened in Nineveh when Jonah showed up and the entire city repented and turned back to Jesus. Like Jesus is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving in some of the darkest places in the world. Ministry leaders in Egypt estimate that there are more than 2.5 million followers of Jesus Christ in their country. Many of these are Muslim converts, people converting to Christianity from a Muslim faith, and it's happening all the time. There are reports that in Iran, Christianity has grown from 500 people to 222,000 people in the last 21 years, and contrary to what many people think, Christianity is quietly advancing behind the scenes in some of the most unlikely places across the globe. God is moving. 
massive, widespread revival. And it's not happening in big stadiums. It's just happening by word of mouth. It's happening because people are getting saved. They are radically being transformed. They're surrendering their lives. They're surrendering their rights. And they are telling other people of the radical work that Jesus has done in their life. And it's spreading like wildfire. Senior Iraqi Christian leaders estimate that there were about 400 born-again believers in the entire country in 2003. 400 born-again believers in the entire country of Iraq in 2003. That's less people than we will have in our building today. 400 people. But they estimated about 75,000 committed followers of Christ by the end of 2008. So that number from 2003 to 2008 has grown from 400 to 75,000. Look, God is up to something. God is doing something. He's doing something in Africa and Algeria and Jordan and Kazakhstan and Syria and some of the darkest places of the world where, where the enemy has spent years and decades and centuries just deceiving and manipulating and lying and killing the Lord Jesus Christ is showing up like a bright light and it's exposing the darkness and people are running in mass to the light of Jesus Christ. The gospel is being proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. As a testimony to all nations. Man, you're looking for a proof. You're looking for a reason to believe. Do some research Figure out where these revivals are taking place. Man, that is a testimony to the goodness, the greatness, and the power of God. I read a, a testimony here from Nabil Quresh. He's a former devout Muslim. He became a believer in part through a vision, a vision that he had, and, and he tells of his conversion like this. He says, when I contrasted the evidence for Christianity against the evidence for Islam, I knew that intellectually there was no comp comparison. So I asked God to reveal himself to me in truth through dreams and visions. All those things combined with actually reading the Bible, with actually reading the Bible, are what drove me forward to the point of accepting Jesus Christ. A world that's been absolutely starved for a Savior is beginning to get a glimpse of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they're surrendering their lives to him in mass. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I was preparing this message and reading some of these statistics. And, and no, man, I pay attention to what happens in the church. And I, I love the church. And I read books. And I go to seminars about church and healthy church and church growth. And, and we want to see revival take place here. And, and after reading stuff like this, I, I couldn't help but think, man, maybe we're looking at the wrong place for church growth strategies. Maybe we need to start looking at places like this to see what they're doing and what God is doing in these places and, and how, how can we experience that same thing. But then I, I, I thought, you know, it might require us to surrender and sacrifice. And those two words um, are two words that we in the American church don't want to hear too much. We don't want to talk about surrender. We don't want to talk about sacrifice. We don't want to talk about giving anything up for the Lord. It's all just, what can he do for me? What can he do for me? What can he do for me? But man, know that God is moving and he's moving powerfully. It's a sign. We're seeing it. It's a testimony. 
We could have the worship team come. I know that messages like this are a little bit difficult. I know that sometimes it kind of leaves us dangling, like, okay, what do we do with this? Um, What's the practical application? And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about our obsession with a detailed roadmap. Um, we, we, man, we desperately want a detailed roadmap. We want to know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and how's it going to happen and, and then who's going to do it. And we want to know who this is and that is. We want a detailed roadmap of all the end time stuff. We really search for that. But I, but I had this thought. Have you ever driven to a new place? Maybe you're driving to a new city. It's a new place. You don't know how to get around in this city. You're not really familiar with it or comfortable with it. It's a new city you've never been to before. So what you do is you get your phone out, you open your Maps app, and uh, you type in the destination, right? And you push the button. A little voice comes on and it says, in two miles, turn left. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so you listen to that voice. You pay attention to that voice. You're listening very clearly. And it says, in two miles, take a left. And so you take a left in two miles. It says, in half a mile, merge right. And so in half a mile, you merge right. And then it says, in seven miles, veer on to I-80. And so in seven miles, you veer on to I-80. Then you look down at the phone, and, and the little voice says, in 217 miles, take exit, whatever. And so what you do is you now realize that you have time, Right? So what you do is you'll, you'll shut your map app off because you don't want it wasting all of your data, right? You're afraid of those overage charges, and so you shut your map app off. You don't want to listen to that anymore for a while. Um, you crank the radio up. You get your sunflower seeds out and your pop out so you can stay awake and all that stuff. And then you just begin to, like, just coast, right? You're just... You're just going. You're just going through the motions. You don't really have to think about anything again. You just kind of put yourself on autopilot for the next 200 and however many miles. You're just enjoying life. You're singing with the radio, spitting your sunflower seeds. Things are going really, really good because you know you don't have to pay attention to anything and you're not paying attention to anything. And your kids are saying, hey, daddy, what town did we just pass? You don't have a clue because you're not watching any signs because you know you've got 200 something miles. You're on autopilot. You're not thinking about it really you're just doing your own thing then what happens is you finally see the city approaching and so you quick you find your 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 phone you do the right thing and you give it to your wife and ask her to turn the app back on because you don't play with your phone while you're driving right you get that map app turn back on and it says in seven miles take okay i got it i got it on in time and now you start listening You get in the city, you turn the radio down, you tell the kids to shut up in the back because you're listening, right? Got your hands at 10 and two o'clock, you're locked in, you're paying attention, you are ready for your next instructions. And I believe that when it comes to the signs of the coming of the Lord, we would rather have a detailed map than generic signs because we want to know how long we can just go through the motions. We want a detailed map because we want to know how long we can play games with God. We want to know how long we can go by worrying about us more than worrying about God. We want to know more than when is Jesus coming is when do I need to get serious with God? And we try to play these kind of games with God. We try to shut God out. We try to ignore the voice of the Lord until we're just close enough that if we can get serious about him again, 
just before all this end stuff, if we can get serious about him again, just before the end stuff, then I'll make it. And the reason why we want this detailed roadmap is because we want some preacher, some pastor, some evangelist, some prophet, somebody else like that to tell us, hey, after this happens, then you better really get serious. And so we're looking for all of these signs Looking out for all these specific details so that we know when it's time to get serious. When do I need to shut the radio off? When do I need to start paying attention? How long of a lull is it to where I can just do my thing? How long can I build my kingdom? How long do I have to pursue my dreams, my goals, my wills for my life before I have to get serious about Jesus and his goal and his dreams and his will for my life? At what point do I need to stop and make God a top priority? At what point do I need to really start reading my Bible? At what point do I need to take church seriously, to take discipleship seriously? Like, how long can I go through the motions? How long can I coast? How long can I go on autopilot before it gets close enough that I better start really locking in and paying attention? How long do I have to play games with God? How much time do I have to build my kingdom before Jesus forcefully, aggressively, perhaps even in some cases violently, secures his kingdom. I think that if we were honest, that's what we really want to know. When do I need to start taking this serious? When do I need to make God the top priority? If I had a detailed map, I, I would know when I have to start paying attention. I would know exactly when it's time to stop playing the games and start listening for the voice of the Lord. Listen, church, as we study the words of Jesus, I can't help but wonder if he isn't saying to us today, it's time to turn off the radio. It's time to take God serious. It's time to put Jesus in the place of priority in your life. It's time to start paying attention. You better turn the map back on. You better turn your ear to the voice of the Lord because he's trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell us something. All the signs are there. Get ready. It's getting close. Turn off the radio. All the signs are there. Religious deception, Christian persecution, kingdom advancement, everything that Jesus pointed to, it's happening right now. It's there. It's getting close. Turn off the radio. And I know it's strange to talk about the end, but I think it's important for us to take this serious. Stand your feet all across this place. Now, the other debate that we didn't get into, just didn't have time, is when Jesus is talking about the coming of the Lord, what's he referring to? When he's talking about the end, what's he referring to? Is he talking about the rapture of the church where he ushers the church, those who are dead in Christ, and then those who are alive in Christ up to, to go to heaven with him without dying? Is he talking about a time, period of tribulation? You know, that's, that is uh, many different people, many different theologians have different thoughts on all of that. And, and, and I personally believe that, that we are right now in a, in a season where we're waiting for the rapture and that will happen first. That's, that's what I believe um, when I study scripture. But, but either way, no matter what we're waiting for, let us be ready. Let us be ready. 
whether we're waiting for the rapture or whether we're waiting for a time of tribulation, whatever it is, whatever's next, let us be a people who are ready for whatever's next. Let us just be ready. Let us be locked in. Let us be paying attention. Let us, as a people of God, not be taken by surprise. Nothing should surprise us if we're studying Scripture. Nothing should surprise us if we have our heart and our spirit tuned in to the voice of the Lord. Nothing should surprise us. Let us not be a people that are taken by surprise. Let us be ready. Bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. The one assurance you have to be ready is Jesus. For no matter what happens, no matter what comes next, Jesus is your assurance. Jesus is your assurance. If, if we're waiting on the rapture, Jesus is your assurance. If, if tribulation is coming, Jesus is your assurance. And I wonder if there have been too many of us that have just kind of been going through the motions, but we've never really surrendered or sacrificed our life to Jesus. We've never really committed our life fully and completely to Jesus. We go through the motions, we go to church, we kind of say the, the right things, but we don't know what it means to sacrifice and surrender. If you're in this place this morning, we'll ask this question. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you would like to do that today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up indicating that, yeah, that's me. I, I want to surrender my life to Jesus this morning. I want to be guaranteed of, of my salvation. I want to have that assurance no matter what comes next. I want to be ready. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody else? I see hands going up. Anybody else? Jesus is the assurance for what's next. Jesus is the one that says we don't have to be afraid. He's the one that says we don't have to fear. You guys go ahead and put your hands down. I wanna ask another question. Have you been playing games? Have you been coasting? Have you been living the kind of life that if something were to happen today, you'd be caught by surprise? That you wouldn't be ready? Are you in this place and you would say, you know, I see it, the signs are there, it's time for me to start paying attention, it's time for me to repent of my attitude and what I've been doing, it's time for me to take God serious. If that's you in sort of a, and, and the first act of repentance, and you'd say, you know what, I've not been taking the things of God as serious as I should, but it's time for me to do that. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand if that's you? And it's time, it is time for me to tar start taking the things of God serious, to ready my heart, to ready my life, to ready my family. You guys can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray for you. We're gonna pray first for those who raise their hands for, to surrender their life to Jesus. And I'm gonna pray a prayer, and, and if you've never prayed this prayer before, I want you to repeat this after me. If you've prayed this prayer before and Jesus is still your Lord and Savior, let's pray that with them to just encourage them and to support them. And if you believe this in your heart, that's the first step. That's surrendering, submitting our life to Jesus. Let's, let's do this all across this place. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the signs. Thank you for loving me. 
Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the cross. I've been doing this life on my own, and I'm not ready. But I know if I give my life to you, if I submit my will, my hopes, my dreams to you, I'll be ready. So today, Lord, I give you all of me. Be my Savior. Be my God. I love you, and I thank you. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's doing in the hearts and lives of people. We're going to close like this. Thankful for what God has already done, but knowing that he still wants to do something. And there are some of you that the Holy Spirit is tugging on. There's some of you that the Holy Spirit has latched on to your heart during this message. And you need to spend just a couple of minutes with the Lord. We're getting out right at noon. It's right at noon right now, but I'm gonna dismiss. But I don't want this to be the kind of dismissal where everybody just runs out. Because Pastor Dan and the worship team begins to, to play and sing. If you're in this place and you raise your hand about not being serious with God and not taking the things of God serious and knowing that it's time for you to, to change that, to get the hands on 10 and 2, to turn down the radio, to pay attention to what the Lord is saying to you, I want you to give me three minutes. I want you to give, you, I want you to give me three minutes to just come down and spend the next three minutes down at this altar. Our altar team is going to pray with you. They're going to lay their hands on you. They're going to encourage you. They're just going to pray that, that your prayer would be solidified. But if that's you and you raised your hand, you said, you know what, I've not been taking the things of God serious. It's time for you to put that into practice right now. To operate in immediate, in immediate obedience. To take this step forward and say, you know what, I'm going to take three minutes and I'm just going to pour my heart out to the Lord. I'm going to pray. You guys will be dismissed. If that's you and you raise your hands, I want you to come down. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving us the signs. Thank you for giving us the warning so that we know when it's time to start paying attention. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who haven't been, we pray that we would start locking in and we would start listening. Father, help us to be a people that pursue you, that love you, that honor you, and that faithfully and anxiously anticipate you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you come? Would you come if that's you? Would you come so we can pray for you?